Hi, my name's Samuel Finlay, and you're listening to the Aces Podcast. In this episode, I chat with Payal Mukherjee. Payal is an ear, nose, and throat surgeon and is an Aces collaborator. In our conversation, we chat about her career path as a surgeon, her background, being introduced to 3D printing, working with Aces, and much more. So let's get to our conversation. So I'm chatting with Payal Mukherjee on today's podcast. Thanks for joining me, Payal. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How's life for you at the moment during COVID-19? Well, as an ENT surgeon, uh, it is very interesting. Uh, uh, you may not know, but um, with ENT surgeons, we're working in the nose and the airway a lot. So uh, amongst all of the surgical specialties, we've actually been the worst affected in terms of risks to staff, to um, uh, carers to surgeons and patients as well so our life as surgeons have been turned inside out um, and we're trying to put the pieces together to get back to work um, because we're trying the we're trying to minimize the the collateral damage of COVID-19 on patients so it's been a very interesting ride. I bet so I'm sure lots of extra precautions are being taken. Yeah I mean I think we've really been um, uh, it's it's not just about taking the precautions, but we've really been faced with this uh, thing that was foreign to us, which is resource limitation, um, limitation of PPEs, um, how do you provide care, how do you ensure safety. Um, and it's been uh, quite interesting having the collaborations with our scientific and engineering colleagues because, um, you know, they really sort of um, jumped in the hour of need being able to use uh, 3D printing innovation, um, coming together to see, you know work in partnership with the people on, on the front line uh, to use those innovations for a very practical and timely need. So I want to get into your work with ACES in a moment, but first of all, I just want to go back to, you know, I guess why you decided to become a, a, an ENT surgeon and study medicine to begin with. Um, well. Medicine, sort of, uh, the reason I chose medicine is, A, I had an interest in sciences and I also had, um, I really like um, human contact. Um, and as far as then, you know, personal reasons, my grandmother uh, was a big influencing factor in that as well. Um, so my grandmother was brought up in an era where she really wanted to be a doctor, but um, uh, coming being brought up in a time where India was going through partition and her sort of moving from what's now Bangladesh to uh, what's now India um, you know education was a, a rare commodity uh, for a young girl at the time and uh, she didn't have the options that I did so that was sort of the background in which I came into but then I had a uh, and my come from a found my father and my brother are engineers um, so coming from a very uh, strong science background, um, and enjoying the people contact, I sort of went from engineering into medicine, and and, and instead end up collaborating with engineers and research with ACES. <laughs> so when you started your medicine degree to begin with, did you always want to do focus on you know ENT, ear, nose, and throat surgery, or was that something that developed over time during your studies? 
Um, I, I gravitated towards it because I found that, you know, in the basic sciences um, that medicine is built build on, so physiology, pathology, anatomy, um, I really enjoyed anatomy. I loved it. And the more difficult it was, the more I enjoyed it. So I always knew, and, and I actually taught anatomy in university once, even as a senior medical student, I was teaching it to the junior medical students. Um, and therefore, when I got into my surgical terms, because I was so good at anatomy, um, I, uh, you know, uh, stood out when it came to anatomy questions and surgeons love asking anatomy questions. So then, um, you know, we had, I had, uh, we had a term, a head and neck term. Um, and of course that was my strength. So, um, uh, one of the surgeons sort of said, have you considered surgery? We need more women in surgery and, um, you know, you have a knack for it. Um, and that sort of started off my interest in head and neck, uh, surgery. Um, and, uh, when I then graduated as a, um, as an intern and did my internship and did head and neck terms, the head and neck surgeon said, look, in, in this career path, you can either go through uh, ENT surgery or you can go through general surgery and they both do head and neck. So, um, you know, think about ENT might give you more uh, diversity in where you want to go because you can work with the microscope if you're doing ear surgery, open surgery if you're doing, you know, if you're in the neck or endoscopes if you're doing um, uh, nasal surgery. And I think, and it was also a time in ENT and it still is actually uh, where it's because there's so much technology involved in ENT, it's constantly changing. Um, and that really attracted me. So I think uh, that then, you know, led to me to this path of um, doing uh, ENT. So you've obviously studied for, for many years, you know, you did a bachelor's degree, master's and, you know, other degrees uh, further than that, but you're also doing a PhD currently. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it stems from my frustrated, uh, frustrated but unfounded um, career path in engineering, and also <laughs> my love for technology. Hey, <laughs> uh, so I wanted to. I, I think at the background, um, I uh, am a creative person, um, and when I see problems in my patients um, uh, as a clinician, um, not you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to take it to the lab and um, work on solutions. But of course being trained as a clinician, I have a limited set of skills. Um, and that's what led me to collaborate with, um, uh, with ACES, uh, with uh, Gordon, um, just towards uh, working uh, into uh, uh, collaborative projects, uh, looking at uh, translational research. So starting off with an idea that really started off at the clinic, but you know, taking it straight to the lab to a project where you think, you know, is this even feasible to apply new technologies and then build it up and, you know, end it back in the, in the clinic. So how have you found that collaboration with ACES, you know, coming from that medical background, as you mentioned, engineering, and, you know, you've got a bit of experience in that field too, but then also this world of bioprinting and 3D printing. Well, mostly fun. <laughs> you don't do anything <laughs> that's not fun. Um, but I think it really has um, helped unleash my creative juices because I've found lots of creative people at ACES. Um, and I think to be able to connect, um, uh, you know, different uh, people with different interests and different skill sets. Uh, and, you know, as you know, bioprinting has so many different uh, skill sets involved. Um, I think um, it's been just, just, uh, you know, it's been so much fun. And that's why I decided to then commit that to a PhD because 
as a clinician, time is always your enemy. It runs away from you. Uh, there are many um, priorities on your time and you always have to put your patients first. So if I didn't do it as a PhD, I couldn't protect time to it that I wasn't accountable to. I, have to. I had to meet certain metrics and that put a pressure on me to make sure it wasn't something that was happening in the background. Um, we were also very lucky that uh, for ENT in Australia, um, uh, there is um, a funding body, body called the Garnet Pass and Rodney Williams Memorial Foundation that is dedicated towards um, innovation in ENT. And I was able to secure some funding from them, which also, really helped me kickstart the project. So it wasn't just a concept. We knew that there were, you know, you know there was feasibility uh, at ACES to be able to start the, the, the fundamental research. Uh, and I had some funding backup. So it just meant that it was going to go. And if I didn't do it as a PhD, I couldn't do it as quick enough as I wanted to. Um, so I, you know, whenever they, you want to do something, you put lots of time pressures on it. <laughs> so stressful, but it means <laughs> that you achieve certain targets. And, you know, I think the team at ACES work the same way and they have also, you know, provided um, so much funding support uh, to be able to take it from discovery to the first stages of animal research within a course of, you know, three and a half years, I think. Uh, that is an achievement. It doesn't happen very often. So one of the projects you're working on with ACES is the ear cartilage regeneration project, and there's the 3D Alec printer uh, as well. How, how is the, that progressing? Well, it's progressing really well. Our 3D Alec not only lives, but also has made a debut in television on primetime. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and Famous. he's he or she, I used to call 3D Alec a she first, but look, <laughs> uh, we want to be diverse. Um, uh, 3D Alex now being cloned and uh, there's a version now for the clinic which is uh, to be uh, placed at RPA um, and also at UOW we have uh, you know a, a, a protocol derived so now we're trying to make it user-friendly so you know it's not just the engineers who build it at ACES but it can be translated to the hospital and people at hospital with less um, engineering, uh, less knowledge into uh, Alec can actually be trained to use it. And that's so, so we've sort of, Alec sort of not only come into being, and now we're really testing that it is translatable in the sense that you can put it, put it in a hospital that can be used in a hospital by, by people in the hospital. So you mentioned time earlier on. I'm curious, how do you manage and juggle all these hats? Because not only, you know, are you a surgeon, you've got this collaboration with ACES, but you're also an associate professor at the University of Sydney, I believe. Yeah, um, uh, it is challenging. Uh, <laughs> but I suppose, you know, when you do that, you turn to your mentors and see how they do it. And uh, one of the, uh, when... I was, I knew very early on in my, uh, when I graduated as an ENT surgeon and I came back from my fellowship from the UK, that I did want to have a research stream. So um, I had the benefit of having some amazing mentors. Um, some of them continue to supervise me um, in my PhD. Um, uh, who, and I looked at them and said, what do you do to be efficient? Because you have the same challenges. Is it even possible? And I found what they did was they, um, uh, they protected time. Um, they streamlined their day. So they would say, all my research commitments are going 
going to be on this day. Uh, all my clinical commitments are going to be on this day. Um, and and I wasn't doing that efficiently. So I learned uh, timetabling strategies. I also learned to build networks uh, that would support it, so not to do it alone. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, when you do it in a group, when you do whatever you do in a group, um, it really helps build flexibility in what you can do. So, you know, if you have to write a grant, you're not writing it alone. You, you're, someone's doing this part, someone's doing that part. You build on your strengths and work through things together to achieve uh, the best out of every situation. Um, so, yeah, I certainly think um, the thing that I've learned uh, in research, which is different to clinical work, in clinical work, you know, you really, you're operating alone. You work in a team, but you're still leading that team. Um, I think in research, you definitely have to do it as a group. So just focusing on that position as associate professor at the University of Sydney, what does that exactly involve? Um, a lot of teaching um, and uh, research um, and advocacy work. Um, I'm also, uh, <laughs> for my uh, joys, um, I've come in as chair of the uh, New South Wales State Committee of the College of Surgeons right in the middle of COVID. Um, and, but, you know, and, and, and it's, uh, it's, um, it's challenging because it is a challenge. There are some serious issues to navigate. But, you know, um, all of these things that you wear, you may, you may wear different hats. I think most surgeons wear a lot of hats. Uh, but what you find is that one aspect actually helps the other aspect of your life. So if I wasn't a researcher myself, I wouldn't know what challenges academic surgeons face. And therefore, I wouldn't be able to take those issues to a committee to make sure that those issues are addressed. If I wasn't doing a PhD in 3D printing, I wouldn't be able to, I would know that there are regulatory issues that are, you know, about to rock the 3D printing world, but I wouldn't be able to take it to the College of Surgeons and organise, you know, to bring parties together, to bring uh, TGA together, to bring decision makers together, policy makers together and have a conversation about it and then back, put my PhD hat on and get everybody together and write a paper about it and distribute it. So, you know, we had awareness of those issues. I, I don't think, you know, I think it certainly doesn't, it, it sounds like you're doing a lot more and you are, but it almost makes you more efficient when you're, you know, uh, doing that. And the other thing uh, that I have learned um, is that you might, you may not necessarily succeed in one endeavour, uh, but you certainly you know, all the, the, the journey of trying, the, the things that you learn in that journey, even in your failures, actually makes you uh, a better person, a better researcher. Um, uh, whatever you're doing, it actually informs your decision to make the next step. So it does grow you. And I don't think that, you know, people should take their failures as, a, um, uh, as necessarily something negative. So how about life outside of work? What do you do in your downtime? <laughs> I'm a single parent. I <laughs> think I have time. <laughs> if you have uh, downtime. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I really enjoy dancing. Um, and I, at, at one stage, I really enjoyed art. I do enjoy art. I just don't have not had time to reconnect with it. But now when I look at that stuff, I go, oh, did I really do that? So I really, once this PhD is over, I have some ambitions to try to, you know, uh, tinker my way into art as well. Uh, but I certainly, uh, you know, uh, I do do a lot of dancing um, and I exercise, I stay fit as best as possible. 
So something I've asked everyone that I've had on the podcast is whether or not they've got a morning routine or something that they implement every day to help them approach their work. I, I endeavor to, but my weekdays, uh, I, I am more able to do that on my weekends, but during my weekdays, it's just, um, uh, you know, whatever comes like some days I'm starting with a, a phone meeting at six thirty in the morning and don't finish at nine o'clock at nine. Other days it's just a race to, you know, get my daughter to school on time and you just do what comes, what life throws at you during those weekdays, but you protect your weekend time to say, well, this is what my, you know, this is my time. Um, and this is what I'm going to do. Um, so you do, you, you timetable, you have to timetable that fitness in a time, in a, in a, in a calendar that works for you. So if you weren't doing what you, you currently do for a living, what do you think you would be doing? Uh, probably be a dancer, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'd be, I'd be, I, I would find a way to incorporate science, um, and art in some form of or the other. So I wouldn't just dance, but I would find the science and dance and make a project out of that. I think I, I, I need a project in life to do it. So. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> like <you're something. laughs> so I'm wondering if you could maybe offer some advice to someone who, you know, maybe wants to go into similar sort of work as yourself, maybe medicine or, you know, wants to do a PhD. Oh, look, uh, for me, at the start of, at the outset of it, it was quite daunting. Um, I didn't think I had the time, uh, but I, you know, getting coming at it at the other end, I certainly think that you know, some, things may seem daunting at the beginning, but if you are doing it for the right reasons and if your purpose is connected, uh, then don't hold back. I think you only learn as much as you challenge yourself, um, and. Our system is built on flexibility, um, so you don't have to do things, um, you know, there's lots of options becoming available in terms of doing part-time study or, um, you know, part-time degrees. Uh, so if somebody wanted to do it, I certainly wouldn't, um, uh, you know, uh, advise for them to hold back. As uh, long as it's, you know, it's, it's what you want to do and you're passionate about it, you know, go for it. If you're not passionate about it and you're not sure, um, it, it does take a lot of your life. Um, so, you know, don't do something that you absolutely, you know, you, you think you, you, you're unsure about. And if you're not sure about it, you're just curious, then, you know, go spend time with someone to find out a little bit more about it so you can make the most informed decision. Now, I'm, I'm interested, like you've obviously had a very successful career so far, but I wonder if there's a highlight. Having uh, my uh, giving birth as a mum, uh, both as a doctor and a mother, it was probably the highlight. I mean, even now as a surgeon, when I walk through recovery um, and hear a new life that's, you know, been born, um, I think there is nothing amazing to me than that, that just that, that, that being able to create life and as a woman to be able to enjoy that, um, but also as a doctor to be able to see that and now as a researcher to be able to engaging in regenerative medicine, uh, you know, it just, it, nothing gives me more of a buzz uh, than being able to see that that's possible. I think it's such a miracle. Um, and I, I don't think anything would top that, you know, no, no matter what you put on paper or how, what, what, what award you give from, you know, that nothing would top that feeling. 
Now, uh, just to finish up, I'm, I'm wondering if you know, mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but I'm wondering if there's any future plans um, you can maybe speak on, maybe with the ACES collaboration and uh, the next step for the, I guess, 3D Alec printer. Well, it's just going strength to strength. I mean, you know, that technology has not yet been put in patience. So that journey is not finished <laughs> until you know, that's where it started. Uh, so, you know, this is going to keep going until that, that journey is completed you know, until the patients are benefiting from their research, that research doesn't finish. Great. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to have a chat. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the ACES podcast. For more episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can also find more information about ACES on our website, electromaterials.edu.au. There you'll find links to our various social media platforms. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at Samuel Finlay. Until next time, thanks for listening.